Is everybody ready to talk about Neil Blomkamp? episode of Cinema Demore. I'm Justin Morgan. I'm here with the usuals. Chuck. And Lexi. And our Spike Lee theme is over. We are now talking about Lexi, drum roll please. Neil Blomkamp. This is Lexi's pick. I'll let Lexi start the discussion before we start talking about the movie itself. My fiance made a really funny point that we spent an entire month talking about Spike Lee, which is predominantly about discrimination and racism. And Blomkamp's got a lot of those themes going throughout all of his stuff because Blomkamp is a South African director. So he borrows a lot of influence from the lower class people of his area and indoctrinates that stuff into his films to kind of tell these really crazy out there science fiction stories that at their core are some of the best action science fiction films produced in the last like 10 years hands down so i would say that they're certainly not as they're they're more blunt with the point like everybody's poor so this is why this is happening that kind of stuff they're not quite so deep but they definitely have some things that allow you to have a discussion in them so blomkamp was actually found by peter jackson if i'm getting this right i don't know if you guys know what i'm talking about so if i'm wrong correct me please did he do like a halo film was that the first he thing did. he did? It was like that Halo fan thing? Yeah, he basically was online and he was just kind of making these like CG robot things, like things that just like looked really good, better than anybody in the industry was doing at the time. And, uh, you know, Peter Jackson's like, what, look at this fucking guy over here. He's like doing this stuff by himself pretty much. And like, he's amazing. So they kind of approached him and that's how District 9 got made was like, Basically, it was like some shorts that he saw on the internet, and that convinced him to help him produce the film. So I don't know if I'm wrong completely on that, but I'm pretty sure that's what the the way it was. Do you think you're 80% correct? I'll say 80. (laughs) Then it's true. It's good enough. Like I said, I didn't do hard research on this. This is all coming from the hip and a lot of this kind of stuff. But he is, I think, one of the most interesting new directors to come out in the last like 10 years. Like for all the directors we've talked about this year, he's the youngest as far as like his time on (laughs) the planet making movies. All that are alive. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, he... He's definitely new to the game, but um, he's proven himself like time and again with his films. And he currently only has three films under his belt. It made choosing the films for this month super easy because we just had to do Neil Blomkamp's three movies. You're getting the whole collection. That's right. Everything that he's ever done, we're going to talk about this month. We're only going to do two movies, but we said, fuck it. We'll give everybody three. (laughs) Might as well. If you're talking about Chappie, then you could probably leave that one out, all things considered. This is an interesting time in film as well. Um, This one came out in uh, 2009. And I remember being in effects school, like right at the the first like month, month and a half that we started that effects school. And everybody, of course, in that school had the typical, oh, fuck CG. The only good CG is Jurassic Park and Terminator 2 and blah, blah, blah. And we all went as a giant group to the theater 
to watch this movie. And every single person in our class walked out of that movie and went, that was the most impressive CG I have ever seen. If that's how things are going to be, then I can be okay with that. And I thought that was really important because people who they, don't... They, got, they made sure they don't have jobs in the future. <laughs> right, exactly. So I think Blomkamp really understands that you need to blend the practical with the CG. But I think the thing that really impressed me about this movie is that, like I said, 09, it came out. And when I went back in this viewing, I was like, the CG holds, absolutely holds up 100%. Like, it looks so good. It's so solid. And he utilizes these really interesting... Um, um, filters and kind of like uh, camera. They're not really camera tricks. They're actually a digital trick that you put in where it makes the camera kind of shake a little bit and give it gives it that quality like someone's holding it or whatever. So it's not actually a real person doing that. But um, the way that he uses his filters and that kind of camera technique hides a lot as well. So it lets him kind of get away with more. And the end result is that everything kind of seamlessly blends because he doesn't use like top tier cameras. He uses kind of like a lower grade camera to kind of allow these filters to come in and, and help kind of blur the edges on his stuff, which makes them look like they're part of the scenery. I think he really changed the game effects wise when it came to showing people what CG can do and how you can properly utilize CG. And I think that's a really important thing to talk about with Blomkamp is that, yes, he understands practical, but um, he's a real game changer when it comes to his uh, CG practical effects. And that's how he started, was doing the CG practical effects stuff online and just kind of putting himself out there. That's really his background more than anything. Today we are talking about District 9, Neil Blomkamp's first movie. Okay. Yeah, this is his first that doesn't have a lot of like big names in it. So it's mostly a predominantly South African cast. Um, there are some American actors in it here and there, but British actors, things like that, but not really anybody that you want to like, oh, it's so-and-so, you know what I'm saying? Like there was no names in it that really come out. Now on this watch, you can say that the main guy, he becomes known later on. He's quite a talented actor, but like when we started with this film, he was a relative unknown. Was that one guy, Alan Dale? I believe so. The yeah, the main character, it, the old man, the father-in-law. The father-in-law. I'm like, I thought that was him. <laughs> if it is, he's the only known actor I would have known going into that. Yeah, that was one of like the few people that I was like, I recognize them. And um, his actually his um support the the African American gentleman that goes with him. I recognize that actor too, but I don't know if I recognize them because they're a well known or just like I've seen them in like weird other things or stuff. But like I had a familiarity with them. So I'm not 100% anybody's real name in this. <laughs> Christopher so, Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> what is the, what is the main actor's name? Because he goes on. He's in every Charlotte one. Of yeah, he's an interesting case in that he's a phenomenally talented character actor. Chuck, say but, his name again, but real cool. Yeah. Charlotte Copley. There you go. I don't know how to say that any cooler. Back up on the mic of hair and say it just, just as cool. <laughs> you want me right up on it? Not like that. Uh, if you're going to do it right up on it, just say it a lot slower so it's like sexy. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Shout out to Copley. There you go. Is that <laughs> good for you? Yeah. That was good. That's good. I'm going to try to use that as a sound bite. <laughs> so, so yeah, make he's... it weird and psychedelic. So, <laughs> so you'll enjoy it. You created All it. Right. Yeah, that's right. This was an interesting time in American culture because I was talking about it today. Um, we like to find like other countries and just kind of like um, 
spend about 10 years like hyper focusing on stuff from them like when you think about the 2000s that was like the big japanese boom so like america was getting like tons and tons and stuff from japan and that's when we started like getting more japanese music and that kind of stuff started integrating into our culture so like the very start of the 2010s because at this time blomkamp drops this movie in american theaters and uh diane were put their like first single out on YouTube at the same time. And so like it kind of started that whole like South African boom in America. And then like for the next 10 years, we kind of like really got into like South African culture a bit. Like it really started incorporating a lot into like our our culture, like filmmakers and musicians and actors and all this kind of stuff. And it's a really interesting time because South African, South, South African culture is really interesting, especially from like a media standpoint, like they make some really interesting stuff. So I really enjoyed this time. It really got me into it. And I kind of, to this day, like heavily look for South African content. It's, it's just so, so different. and so interesting. We'll get into Die Antwerp, but they're for Chappie. <laughs> we're not, we're not going to bring them up right away. Oh, yeah, we'll come to them. You can't get into that too quick. The truth is, is that you can't get into Neil Blomkamp without at some point getting into Die Antwerp because um, Blomkamp is friends with them. Like if you've seen some of their videos, Blomkamp's like effects will show up in their music videos. Like he's got the one video where he's got the arm from District 9. Is it true that they based aliens off of them? No. The prawns? Were they designed after them? Die Antwerp? Yeah. There are some visual cues that I was wondering about myself, like um, some of the little like insignias on the alien ships and um, some of the stuff on their heads does have crossover with Diane Wirt's visual style. But I think it Diane Wirt wasn't popular at the time. And even though he's probably friendly with them, um, I would say within South African culture, they're not respected. So I don't know if he was necessarily trying to incorporate them into it because they're kind of looked at as... um, I think they would if they are friends. Right. Because, I mean, if anything I write right now, it it would have Chuck and Lexi in it. There you go. That's nice to know. You're like, no. these are not flattering portrayals of us. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're, you're like a... Uh... You're like uh, Jason Schwartzman's character. We we very clearly can tell who who we're supposed to be, and we're like, I didn't do that at all. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's not about you. <laughs> yeah. I told you it's it's a work of fiction. Why you really think, nailed Dad right? <laughs> I think when you start getting into like if you start studying South African culture and you really get into it, you start realizing like that. Let's start. Let's get into it. Well, like like Blomkamp and Diane, especially Diane, were, but there's a lot of cultural appropriation to their stuff because at the end of the day, these are like white Africans that are going down and they are appropriating Afrikaans culture and like lingo and like aspects of it. And then they're whitewashing it and then kind of just like leveling it out to make it real easy and palatable to ingest. So like District 9 is a really complicated discussion about like South African apartheid and like those sorts of villages. And they used aliens as like the commentary for the discussion on racism and stuff. It starts out kind of in this really strong political place. But then once you start getting into like the middle of it, like it just becomes like a straightforward, solid like action film. And it doesn't yeah, the, really the middle have... is like a body horror film. And then it turns yeah. Yeah, just into like straight up sci-fi gunning and blowing shit up. And so I think like if you're from that place, you might not find this film as fun as we do. So I think it goes like this is a good example of like. What if they American... didn't find it fun? What if they found it sad? Right. 
that very well but is a possibility. We found it fun. <laughs> well, that's but that's what I'm getting at is that we don't know, so it's a real simple, basic story to us, and it's really, really, really easy to ingest. So, like, I mean, if the people aren't happy with it, then maybe Blomkamp's not a great director, right? I, I he mean, carry he, that image through. I, I think I think when you're talking about this side of it, like it, it gets complicated, and we don't have to go like super hard into this because I don't want to have more deep hard conversations but i do know that culturally like when you it's like you know you make a film about something that you kind of understand but you don't really understand like when a white guy makes a film about you know black culture or something like that or you know a white guy makes a film about like women's issues and stuff like that they're not really totally like getting the full gamut of what it's really like to be in those shoes and be in that position so it's inauthentic and i think like culturally people want some money Right, but we don't we don't get that over here. So for us, we think authentic is you know what it is, and it's really not. Like it's always through the lens of the camera. It's the right. director telling us the story. We never fully indoctrinate all the culture. We just pick and choose the bits from it that we like, and then we bring those over, and that's what we get, and that becomes our understanding and representation of South Africa and South African culture, which is Diane Word and Neil Blomkamp. <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> So the documentary doesn't cover any of what Lexi just said. Uh, it mo- mostly it focused on the story of a man that was becoming alien. It's it's pretty cool. It's pretty worth check. It's pretty good. It's worth checking out. <laughs> it taught me. I didn't know anything about these prawns. I didn't right. even know there was a shuttle, a saucer of some type, just floating over Johannesburg for years before my birth, even. That's right. Twenty years. Was just hovering there above above the slums of Johannesburg. Yeah, but why did it take me to a 2009 documentary before I even knew this story? Well, we hide things. The government doesn't want you to know. That's all. So this film is a mockumentary that, well, I, I want to say it. I think mockumentary is a loose word to use for this movie because it starts out as a mockumentary. And as I said before, he utilizes the shaky cam POV kind of shots which I said he uses filters for those to help him hide edges and stuff like that. So when you get to the point that our main character starts his transition into the prawn, I feel like it stops being that. Because once he starts his interactions with the the prawn who's trying to get to help him, that's when it stops being a documentary and it starts being a film. Makes sense? Yeah. It does, but I also felt that they just hid the cameras better when it was following. What's his name, Chuck? Uh, some <laughs> w- Wickus, yeah, Wickus Vandermeer, yeah. yeah, that guy. Wickus. The movie is about a guy who works for an agency whose job is to like enforce aliens that have come to this planet twenty years ago, and the aliens don't seem to be like intelligent. They just seem to be kind of like garbage people who just seem to have run away from like living a shitty life and they were living a shittier life on this vessel. They seem like they're just like worker ants that like don't have a queen or a leader is like, I feel like how they're, they're kind of like supposed to be portrayed is just, they're the, they're the grunts and like, they're just aimlessly there because they don't have their leader anymore for whatever reason. Scary. Right. Because you're coming off as a little specious there. Sounds real hateful. Comparing them to those ants. They're just That's bugs. Right. Am, am I starting to sound like a character from Starship Troopers? Mm-hmm. Uh, little yeah. little fascist. <laughs> so, the only good bug's a dead bug. That's probably what they say about the prawns. The only good prawn's a dead prawn. 
Hey, that think- one guy said he loved Kroomba or whatever fuck his name was. <laughs> said that he loved uh, killing them. It was his favorite part of his life. Yeah, that's right. And the the, the South African warlord, he was eating them because he wanted to gain their power. So everybody's snacking on these things in some way or another, or killing them. That like Haitian voodoo did fall into this, didn't it? Yeah, hard, real hard. Um, so Vicus gets tasked the job he's not really qualified for which is to go down and hand out like eviction paperwork to get these prawns so they can move them to like a concentration camp and basically get them out of like johannesburg because they don't want them around there anymore father-in-law didn't like him very much so he promoted him to this risky job where he may become a prawn that's that's the real crime of this film nepotism (laughs) yeah So then he, uh, the aliens were working on something to try to get them out of there. A couple of them, not all of them, but a couple of them. And then like they Wickes, needed a ladder or something. Wickus finds it, confiscates it. And in the process of confiscating it, it sprays all over him. And then he slowly starts the metamorphosis of becoming one of these prawns. And so that's pretty much the whole film. That's like the meat of the movie is watching this it's guy go through his metamorphosis. from the Ninja Turtles movies. Yeah. It's, the it's an alien. Yeah. Huh. Makes you teenage mutant prawns. Mm-hmm. I'd watch that. That's that's the sequel. He's with Bebop and Rocksteady, yeah. hanging out in New York City. Yeah. It's a backstory to a Secret Ninja Turtles movie <laughs> like that. That had to have come out twenty years later. Yeah, this movie has both some of the best um, CG and some of the best practical effects. When he starts through his metamorphosis into the the prawn, the prosthetic work is excellent on it. It looks like painful and gross and like really unpleasant like when he goes and he cuts his own finger off because he's just like if i cut the hand off maybe like but then it's his own hand ends up cutting his own finger off yeah and you're like oh cronenberg with a fly yeah it's like yeah. picking at himself and then just kind of giving up <laughs> yeah it's a lot of body horror i think the interesting thing about wickus is um he's awful like even though he's in this position like, it's very hard to feel sympathy throughout the film for him because he's always, like, fucking people over and turning his back on people. And he's very much, like, self-oriented in the process. Carol. It's a Christmas carol. Even, like, even the I ending. Like make him into when, a, a better person. It's hard to even, like, like stand behind him when he finally turns around and helps the, the father and his kid because it's, like you're such an asshole like you got this giant robot and then your first thing to do was you run away oh was like, i i don't think that i like how it started off like a skit from the office or something yes <laughs> and then that character basically becomes rambo or a pretty cool villain i guess i don't know he definitely has way too many times throughout the film when it's like he should have died and something just like completely like blows up or like falls over and it just completely works in his favor. That's like the whole like last like 40 minutes of this movie is this guy like he's definitely going to die. Oh, no, he got out of it. And you're like that. that yeah, I mean, die. I don't know. I think the, the main magic of this movie is the special effects because it's a director that came from special effects. And that's kind of rare. Maybe he's the only one or at least it, it really he really seemed to put it in his film that everybody noticed it. But I don't know, like watching the watching the three movies, I, I still do love this one the best. And I'll talk about I'll explain that. I was going to say that after watching all of these movies, all three of them, I don't know if I think his special effects are so good 
that they realize that he's maybe not the best at at directing actors. Right. Because a lot of the performances in this were a little rough besides that the main guy. I, I thought that he felt more comfortable than maybe anybody else. Like that main military guy that's like chasing him was like the, the you know, the B villain from the, the main bone stock from any movie. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen that guy play that character in like f- 10 other films too. Like, I'm, and a- I'm going to, ex- and then like where the writing might be a little weak is in cases where like the villain talks himself into a situation, you know, <laughs> he could have killed him. Yeah could have killed him very easily but since he's talking so damn much prawns came out of the side of the because he's a mean guy they uh ripped him apart in like two seconds i wouldn't disagree with that on that the main like human actors are kind of weak and that the ones who do well seem to have already had the talent in them to do it kind of thing i thought his cohort when like when wickis starts I don't know the guy's name, but the one that ends up in jail at the end of the movie for like calling them all out. He was one of my favorite characters. He was great. Like he brought a lot of character to the scenes and like those scenes when they're like going in and they're confiscating stuff and they're laughing together and stuff like they're really, really well done. You committed your first abortion. Here you go. (laughs) Yeah. And like he's such an asshole like throughout the entire process. Like it like I said, it's it's hard to feel for him. But like, it's just it's just interesting to like watch him go through what he goes through too. Like he's like, I'm not gonna shoot the gun. And they're like, shoot the gun, and then they like tase him, fucking make his hand twitch to like fire the gun and stuff. Like those scenes are great. But all of it that like you said, the writing is very like simple. This is such a simple basic film, and the reason that it exists is to push those effects. Those effects are like front and center to this movie. Like every single thing, the practical and the CG, it's just all right there. There are some absolutely spectacular shots of him in that mech suit when they'll do that really, really, really low shot of the mech suit running along. And it has the shot of like the ship in the background in the sky and like the the sun. And it's like it's something like right out of like an anime. Like it's like, you couldn't even like shoot this traditionally. You'd have to animate it in some way. And he's done it like with CG in a way that makes it look photorealistic. It's almost like watching a film. It's a documentary. Yeah. It's like watching something like made by that guy who makes that weird art where it's like all like and burns. No, I don't think that's who is it. Who it is. It might be the one who does like, the farm art where they put like really, really detailed robots on it. And it'll just be like, it'll look like a Rockwell like painting, but like with robots in the background, you know what I'm talking about? Painting? They made a sh- No, they made a show on Amazon about him. That tales from the loop. There was like a show all based on his artwork. I think Blomkamp has a lot of crossover style with that. Like that. He would be really good at like bringing a Thank product you for that recommendation. Tales from the loop. If it's on Amazon, I'm going to watch it. I would say it's not their best show, but if you want to watch it, watch it. It's science you just, fiction. You just tied it into our movie. I tied it in. That's fair. But there's not a huge amount of crossover regardless. I just was saying if, if you're familiar with the artist, because I wasn't big on that show, but the artist is great. I love their art. I'll find some of their art and send it to you. It'd be, uh, oh. I, I, I feel like it'd be interesting, like uh, basically what Justin's saying about Blomkamp's writing isn't necessarily his strongest suit and... Like he, he definitely knows how to do those kind of action scenes, which I agree with. And I don't know if 
the film itself i know is like it's a very collaborative art form but i don't know why there's like some directors that i don't know if they just feel like they want their pure vision and they feel like they don't want to work with writers even though it's in their best interest to maybe work with somebody else because i've i've started to get that feeling more and more with like christopher nolan like his last two or three films where he's the sole writer on them that's like the weakest part of those films they're all still visually really good but the the writing like especially tenet was maybe the worst one but even like interstellar didn't necessarily have the greatest ones but when his when his brother was co-writing with him or even like david goyer doing like the batman films like like those felt like they had solid writing and then it feels like now i saw the trailer for his oppenheimer film and it seems like it's solely credited as written produced and directed by christopher nolan i'm like okay i'm like is it gonna be like like is it is it actually gonna feel like it's good writing i just hope it's a slow-mo story about uh what's that guy's name uh what the fuck is the guy's name the in the oppenheimer killian murphy yeah just Killian Murphy walking in slow mo as a clock counts down. Yeah, the in entire black film and, in black is it, and white until is it a, until the bomb drops. Is it about actual like Oppenheimer, like yeah. the person? Yeah. yeah, oh, it's about the creation of the atomic bomb and everything. So it's mm. like, I mean, it's 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 a very interesting concept, but it's right. I, I keep feeling like written specifically by Christopher Nolan isn't necessarily like it's not the first person I think of when I think of great solid dialogue and storytelling like I feel like visually it'll have really interesting things going on but I just question like we haven't had other stuff we have not had like a until dusk or or until dawn oh from dusk till dawn I'm sorry I'm messing (laughs) this up from dusk till dawn we haven't really had that like crossover between like a famous writer or the director that writes somebody else's movie and that happened in france a lot in the 60s the way that it, you know the french new wave was mixing everything up yeah but you talking about nolan like it'd be so cool if he just got like somebody else's script to, to direct right like, yeah well known yeah like i said it's like well, i don't know if it's just like a an ego thing with certain directors like almost like they kind of start to get more of that uh auteur mentality of like no it's it's my vision i have to write produce and direct it like nobody else this is my vision and everyone else here is just here to serve my vision like they don't want to they don't want to let other people in even though it would in the end probably benefit their vision to get somebody else in there even just a co-write or say like i don't know i mean these these action scenes are really good but like i don't know that dialogue's like really stiff in this scene like maybe maybe right. could you let me have have a pass at that and it's like who is the best writer director your opinion Kevin. uh i don't uh, i mean kevin? <laughs> i think i heard uh, kevin. <laughs> i thought I mean, about saying kevin smith but i was I, like yeah, yeah i felt like his I later tell films, where going. his later it. films are so fucking bad though so i'm just like he he it's like his early works, his writing was always his strongest point, not his directing. But he made these like films that it worked. Everything that he did like worked as long as he did exactly that. If he ever tried to veer too much outside of it, it never worked right. So that's why I don't like his later work at all. But um, he was a competent one. And I, I don't like, you know, I don't like Tarantino. I think he's a, an abhorrent director, but he's a brilliant writer. And I think every time he writes stuff and gives it to other people that his movies are way better. Like, I don't think he should direct, but I definitely think he should write all day. I think Tarantino is a very talented writer. Yeah, that's that's a tough one to say, like, it's specifically a writer director. Spike Lee does good work. Or at least have done a couple. Like, I think you could call Christopher Nolan that if you wanted to. Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, his early stuff, and again, when he's only, like, the co-writer of it, I I think it still is pretty 
pretty solid with the things, like I said, that he was working on with his brother, his early films. He worked with him a lot or even something like David Lynch. I think David Lynch works very well in his own very specific style of writing and directing his own stuff. Cronenberg uh, like, is good. Yeah. Yeah. He's another good one. But I do think like uh, I almost wish there was more more people that would go the way. And I haven't necessarily liked his most recent films as well, but which, again, maybe this is another one. Someone like David Fincher. I didn't like the film that he wrote himself. That was uh, the Mank based on his father's like uh, unwritten or unfinished screenplay. Like that was probably the movie of his I've liked I, I the think least. His dad's credited as <laughs> I think his dad's credited as, as the writer, but I think I think I like he had talked about that he he like fleshed it out a little bit, David Fincher. But I, I think he he's a director that works really well that from getting other scripts from other people and turning those into really like wonderful films that work really well uh, and doesn't just try he tries to just be the visual guy and he'll take a script like i don't know what it is with with some i think jordan peele's really good he writes yeah, he right. writes produces and directs and i think all three of his films have been solid on what both a, aspects from like the filmmaking visual side and from the writing side right. what about I, james gunn I, yeah i'd put james gunn as a as but really also good. I feel like, yeah. and some of them cheat a little bit though like you think like I don't want to say cheat, but like Edgar Wright, I think he's credited as writing all of his movies, but there's usually always a co-writer. So yeah, like, like he's yeah. usually working with like Nick Pegg or something like or Simon Pegg. <laughs> I can't put Nick Frost and Simon Pegg together. Simon that Frost one, they, they work. They, they work perfectly together. Uh, <laughs> Simon Frost and Nick Pegg. <laughs> that, that's their alternate film when they when they do a they do a later film for Edgar Wright and they like go under aliases. Simon Frost and Nick Pegg. I think that's the multiverse. <laughs> I think you're really on to something, though, Chuck, with the whole Blomkamp's writing, because like Chappie is probably his most story driven film and his last least action oriented film. And it is his worst film. Like the the writing is really bad. There are moments that are really good in it. But those moments come across from like, like Ninja is shockingly good in the movie. So like if he didn't show a good showing of that role, he has more screen time than like most people in the film. So it's a good thing he happened to be able to pull that off because the Olandi was fucking terrible. (laughs) And it's like everybody in the movie, even the bigger names are just not giving good performances all around. And like the whole movie's got some good moments, but and the, the visuals are, are gorgeous. Like Chappie as a character is a gorgeous robot design. I love it. I love Chappie. I like the way he looks. I like the way he talks and sounds and moves. One second. <laughs> are so. you okay? I think you're, it sounds like you're in an ambulance or something. Dude, my my street is a major road. So, so like going back to this movie, you're absolutely correct. Like the writing on this film is weak as shit, but it all comes together so well because the writing's not the focus the he really wrote a story that worked to better his action sequences and so for someone who had a desire to do like a bunch of like practical effects and body horror and just like unique alien designs and wanted to like throw out some mechs and some like crazy looking sci-fi weapons and wanted to have an opportunity to like play with different like effects and stuff like that he's totally an effects director i think what was an interesting point with him in his career was after elysium and they were trying to hand him property after property after property so it was like 
um, let's give him a remake of RoboCop. Let's give him a remake of you know Aliens. Oh, let's, aliens yeah. let's not just give him Aliens. Let's give him the Aliens film that everybody demanded that they make in like the '80s that didn't come after three. We want the three that we were deserved and all this kind of nonsense. And, that and he's like, asshole Ridley Scott was like, "That's a good idea. I think I'll start doing the Alien movies again." Yeah. Well, and like he was talking about Blomkamp was talking about incorporating the aliens toys into the movie. So he was like, I'm going to get that crab alien. And like, I'm going to get the mantis alien. alien. Hilariously. It was like alien. Uh... <laughs> so that was a really weird time when everybody was handing Blomkamp like script after script after script of like yeah. all of these major franchise titles. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he was like, right. He like came up with the story for her. Alien Five. Yeah, yeah, he had it like all yeah, set. He, he had the concept that, art. Yeah. You're damn right. He had his art ready. He knew what effects he needed. And, oh, I, and again, Halo. Like I remember that was he was supposed to do the Halo movie. Like that yeah. was supposed to be his other big thing. I was like, uh, uh, that, I'll tell you, those remakes of RoboCop were like the biggest disappointments for me because the first time they were like Darren Aronofsky's doing the remake of RoboCop, and I was like, holy yeah, fuck! He was. I was like on. so excited about that, and then like it just never happened. And then Neil Blomkamp was supposed to remake RoboCop. And I'm like, well, I can't think of anybody better suited to remake RoboCop than Neil Blomkamp. Like, I think that's a perfect project for him to work on. Um, No, of course, they don't do that. So it's like, and then this film, his fourth film that he's been working on, I don't even know if this thing's ever going to fucking come out. District 10. No. No, it's based on some science fiction novel that he got the rights to. And apparently this was like, one of those big projects that like he's been waiting his whole life to kind of do. Isn't uh district 10 a real thing though? I thought it was, he's, it he's still be. like talking about doing it. He's uh, cause I, I was looking it up cause I was trying to figure out like, cause I remember him talking about wanting to do it years ago. And I was like, I was like, has he said anything? And there is like, there were a couple like stories from, I think back in like March and April of this year that people were interviewing him for other things. And like he said, like he's been working on the script and he has he has ideas for it, which I, I'm very interested because I I really love the way that this film ends on that note of what would the sequel be like? Would it be uh, would it be just them coming back? Would, would Christopher Johnson and his son get uh you know the rest of the the aliens from whatever planet they come are they gonna like try to invade the planet like do they want revenge would it turn into that kind of movie or would it just be that you know they just or it's or is it like a rescue mission movie like not so much not so much they want to attack in production save them yeah so it's he is working on it as far as i'm aware but i'm looking at it right now it's still happening what what the release is but I don't even know now after you said that, Chuck, if I want it, because I like how ambiguous it is at the end. It is a good ambiguous ending. Any any of that could be could happen. It's it's all like I don't think you make more of of this. It's exactly what it is. It's a sealed it's wrapped up all in one film. Yeah, you think about it, it's like our judgment of this main character through the whole movie and his interaction with the alien. All their actions, how that transpires is exactly how the audience is probably going to figure out, you know, yeah. what the end result is. It's like he's not a good character or a good person. We brought that up. His uh, selfishness kind of is what was his drive, but he did help that alien escape. So, you know, he has like a good really, turn of character really at the end. Consideration, you know, 
Well, and I, I like how it ends with him just sitting there making the little flowers, the little metal flowers. I thought that was cute, cute. Yeah. But like, I I think I think in some ways that Wickes finds peace through the transition in his own life. In a lot of ways, like at first it seems like it's going to be so terrible, but once the transition occurs, like he seems like he's kind of like not just like okay with it, but like. It's I feel like uh, I feel like too. If they did a sequel, it would definitely turn into um, something about. I, I feel like in the end, Christopher Johnson's also lying to him when he tells him that he can turn him back. Like he's like, "Oh, if only I can get to my ship and uh, get off this planet and get back to my home, like I could, I could fix you." Which I feel like isn't true at all. Like he's also he's also kind of using Vickis the same way Vickis is trying to use him. Is that you know he he's he if he would come back in the sequel that it would be like okay thanks you came back so you're gonna change me back and then it has to be no I I just told you that like to get that so then like does Vickis then turn back into an evil character that now wants to like destroy him because he you know he's been sitting there hoping that he could change him back for all these years however long it's supposed to take I think I think in the I think he says something you know about it takes it like be. three years to get back to his home or something. So it's at least yeah, going to be like, three years. I like how ambiguous it is, but I think what I would really like in a 10 is, I don't know whatever t- the time is, but I would want to just see where these aliens are now and follow with Wickus around and see like what he's doing with all maybe these by then they've been like in in neil blomkamp's world it's it's like it is in the real world like apartheid ended and they're allowed into society yeah. but it but it might still oh. be like a very segregated and limited like but, but how they sick ex- would it be end how sick would it be if at the end it's the aliens returning like but it's they, on our radar we know they're coming back we know they're coming back at the end of the movie and then when they show up it's over so it's still ambiguous as to yeah. as to what's going to happen they express in the film that the aliens do get relocated to the concentration camp right like they express that does occur so like what i, I mean you you could really go into where that goes but like the aliens on Earth don't make out well in the end. Like they end up exactly where they don't want to be in a worse situation in a lot of ways. They kind right. of present it but in I'm this positive that, light, though, which is really weird. Yeah, but I, I just all I'm saying is I think the primary focus should be what's going on there in the future. And if you know what I mean, like it is a district right. movie. I'd almost have one half focus on what's happened, what happens before they show up or you know, after they think that they're not going to show up anymore. I think he has a new film that we didn't know about. It's called Demonic. Came out in I 2021. I Demonic. Did oh, you? Yeah, I, I like completely forgot about that movie existing. I can remember. Yeah, I, I do remember Justin telling me about it. And then I just like completely forgot it ever existed. I had no idea. I think you probably <laughs> mentioned it to me, but like. Its name is so generic, it just doesn't stay on your radar as it well. It sounds like, like any you... movie that went straight to DVD or straight to Netflix. Right. And I've, I mean, it probably came out in that time period when, you know, COVID 2021. It came out so. when, like, Malignant came out and stuff. So I think, it, yeah, I think around that it time. It wasn't as cool as that. It does seem like it's literally about demons, which is really not his usual. I remember seeing a trailer. I don't even remember the story. But I'll have to check that out. But whenever it showed the title as demonic, I was like, I will never remember that. Right. The one I'm having a hard time with now is that thing with uh, Little Skarsgård called Barbarian. The Norse Skarsgård. What? Little Skarsgård. 
Bill. Which one? Bill's cars guard. Bill. Little Bill. <laughs> the ugly one. Uh, there's so like I was talking to Steph about this after we left seeing Nope. So I got two Alien movies back to back. Nope. I thought it was great, by the way. I really enjoyed it. But then to follow that up with District 9 is crazy, too. But we were talking, when me and Steph left the theater, we were talking about how there's two movies. The horror is uh, Barbarian. is like Airbnb, the horror story. Uh, and then there's another one with that girl from Game of Thrones and the Fast and Furious movies. And it's like 23 and Me, the horror movie. Do you notice how they're doing that? No, but yeah, I'll look for it now. I don't know what Smile was. Invisalign, the horror movie. I don't know. Uh, Smile is Therapy, the horror movie. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what. I, I mean, I think the campaign, I would just keep the trailers uh, short. I just like the guy smiling at her and leaving it at that. Just saying, Smile. I'd see that movie. I want to see that black phone. That I looks interesting. It. Did you? Was it good? Completely has I, nothing to do with this. I just want to see it good but i think it's a little uh people are overselling it a lot of people are like talking that's like fair. it's the best thing in the world and i'm like you know it's original but it's like babadook all over again <laughs> there's some goofy <laughs> things in it I, I don't know i think overall it was just like just okay i'm kind of at a point that if it's not on something i can watch at home i don't really care i'm not big on going to the theater we went to Pompoco today at the alamo it was like a 12 o'clock show like the matinee thing yeah it was cute I don't know. There was a guy next to me and he was like really pushing into like my space. And I know you can like <laughs> complain about them at Alamo, but it was really like unnecessary. And he like laughed at everything that was like super inappropriate. Like these raccoons are getting like killed. And he's like, ha 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 ha. And I'm just like, oh my God, dude. Like, what is was this? he you? No, no. You think <laughs> that, but, but I, I wasn't, it wasn't. I was like, no, I like this movie. It's cute. It's not, that's not what it's about. So. But a Studio Ghibli film, not directed by Miyazaki, but still totally about environmentalism. <laughs> I think it's not him. I think it's Ghibli. Ghibli's like, if it's not about environmentalism, we're not even covering it. So you better, you know, think about that. You just lie to him and say it is. You gotta work, rework your plot. Well, that's what that's what Miyazaki did on that one film. He's like, yeah, it's about environmentalism and it's about World War II planes. And they're like, Miyazaki, you're pushing it here. That was his Oppenheimer. <laughs> so, so um, he get so he's got four movies under his belt. I didn't know that. We'll have to look for the demonic or whatever. But it's not a science fiction film, is it? Have either of you seen it? No, no. All right. I, I, I also I also see looking into what he's working on now. He's apparently working on the Gran Turismo film. Are you yes, serious? Interesting. Yeah. 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 What? Oh my yeah. god! I need to see that. First of all, why are they making a movie about Gran Turismo? Is it Actually, based on the remember? game? Uh, oh, it one hundred percent is. I read a I read a oh plot synopsis. God. I was like, <laughs> I was like, fuck? I was like, so what's what's he working on? And I and I'm reading it, and it's it's like Gran Turismo. And the description of the plot was a kid uses his skills from Gran Turismo in the real world. And I'm like, oh god! So it's gonna be like that he's he's good at driving in a video so game. Bad. So apparently he's good at driving oh in real my god. life. But it could see, be really good. See, now, if that comes out, now you've all set yourselves up for a month where we talk about video game movies because we can do Need for Speed and we can do that movie. <laughs> and me, can... and, uh, me and Chuck have the best Need for Speed story. Oh, oh my God. 
That was like that the worst way to always live in our head. That was that was the worst way to end the St. Patrick's Day was drunk what and then getting motion sickness, that. and then we had to like walk back home because somebody left with the keys for the car. Well, yeah. apparently you did not have a need for speed then. We did not. It was Atlantic. a bad movie in five minutes. It was. Like, <laughs> it was it not to keep going to that movie, but it was one of the worst films I have ever seen in my entire life, and the car stuff in it wasn't even good. That so it's movie like was somebody saw Vanishing go. Point and was like, uh, "What if I just like basically remade Vanishing Point and didn't even try?" I felt so bad for Aaron Paul because he was like fresh off of like Breaking Bad. This was like he said it kind of ruined his career. Yeah, I I cannot I cannot see how it would have helped it. That's for he sure. When that movie tanked, he was having yeah. such a difficult job getting on that was, anything. Yeah, that, because that, that really was his first like major thing, and now he pops up every once in a while, but nothing huge anymore. Yeah, yeah, he's like doing a he lot of voice work. In, yeah, and he's in Mission Impossible Three. Yeah, <laughs> he he did all all the uh, uh, BoJack Horseman. He was like a producer on that too, so he was heavily involved in that. Yeah, now he's Westworld for two seasons. Is he? Oh God. Yeah, that's right. He showed up in season three, didn't he? He's yeah. a window washer slash John Connor revolutionary or something. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And he's like that. That whole show is a piece of shit. That show has like gone so far off the rails a lot. But that that yeah. third season was rough. And I watched one episode of season four, and it's equally rough. <laughs> that's not good. Mind We're you, waiting. I don't remember most of what happened in the show. So I'm like, I don't remember what who's after who anymore. We're just going to wait for the whole season to finish out and then try to watch it in one go kind of thing. Cause it's too hard to just wait for that garbage. Get well, I, I really liked one and two. I really did. I think season two is where it all just completely fell apart. Like that's immediately, I, I've never seen a show derail so hard in my entire life. Cause season one is amazing. It's so good. And then it's just like, well, I don't know what happened. It, here. it, it does go off the rails pretty fast. I think with like, they're like, Oh, the three worlds. And then, like, the three different parks that we never were in before. <laughs> and it was, like, a mystery as to what each theme was going to be. And then three is mostly focusing on the real world. But, like, four has to, too. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. they're just completely out of the parks now. Yeah. What's the point at that point? So, And we never even got to experience the other parks other than for, like, a brief few minutes when they went to, like, Japan World. And that was it. So that was lame because you know for a fact like if you know anything about the original story there's like five parks and they didn't show any of the other parks so yeah we got well, like three there was a that safari i don't remember what else they showed there was like a french town or something there's supposed to be like a greek god area that you can just basically like indulge it's like supposed to be like the spaish type world where you could just like fuck around and not get in trouble and just fuck all day that <laughs> might be the last one the last world yeah because I was like, Ed Harris is great in this. And now I he's, like, feel like he's Ed the best Harris part of the whole show anymore. Yeah, I, I, I've never seen anything derail so hard. So back to Neil Blomkamp. <laughs> this film's pretty simple, though. There's not a whole lot to really say about it. I think we covered the film pretty well, even though we jumped off a little bit here and there. Like the writing is not very strong, but the effects and action sequences are probably some of the best in the industry. I, I fully believe after Blomkamp presented this to the world that Hollywood went, fuck, how do we mimic this? And then for like the next like 10 yeah, years, remember that battle LA, that movie sucked. Oh my God. That movie was so bad. I own it. I paid like $2 for it. Um, Too and much. I bought it new. That was $2 new. I was like, <laughs> how can I say no? I hadn't seen it. And I was like, it's cheaper than 
whatever. Yeah. And then uh, Skyfall, there was that one that nobody saw. Like it was, it triggered this whole like, and then it, when Elysium came along and they did the like harness, the Skyfall, you know everybody watched Skyfall. No, not that one. There's Skyline. a movie called Sky Skyline. That's what I was thinking of. I'm sorry, the Alien one that looks like a bad like knockoff of Independence Day. Um, that well, then when we had he, that TV show Falling Skies, and that was basically a that show's yeah. excellent though. That show's really good. Um, when you know that exoskeleton thing that he has the main guy in elysium have like he kind of came up with that idea and then like every video game after that like call of duty and all that shit they all had those like e-frame like body things like that and like it just became like this staple in like hollywood for a while to have like sci-fi things like that movie with tom cruise that was based on the job all you need is kill but that's not what the the american one's called edge of tomorrow so it's like one of those things where where um, everybody was like stealing his designs and stealing his like sci-fi tech ideas. And it, it really like Neil Blomkamp, alien script. Right. But Blomkamp basically set the tone for the visual styles of like action and science fiction for like the next 10 years with District 9. The only other director that I think is similar is the uh, gentleman that's <laughs> been doing the John Wick movies. Okay. Uh, Ch- Chad something. Stahelski. He, he was an action person off, first. Yeah, he's a stunt yeah. man that yeah. is directing. So you see all this stunt work at, in his movie. He and intentionally think, didn't write a film. He wrote something to build action sequences he around. He choreographed the, the movie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I feel like that's kind of what Blomkamp is doing, but with sci-fi. I'd agree with that. All his, my, his total imagination deals with what he's seeing added after i i love i love the weaponry that he presents in these movies like the electric bolt that just like pops you and like all the like the weird little like rocket thing my favorite special effect in the entire movie is the people's exploding (laughs) that is literally yeah (laughs) it looks really good yeah, it's it's just I mean there's a couple different alien gun effects that we see like the one that's like a bomb but has lightning and smoke. But I love yeah. the scream gun, the gun that like uses like sound waves and just like he gets it in the shed and just blows the six guys at the side of the shed with it. That's yeah, the like, best. The Haitian drug lord or whatever, he was kind of cool with his head <laughs> inflating and exploding. <laughs> but yeah, I think the the my my favorite one was the one that like it looked like a bullet hit you. But your entire body just exploded to like right. goop. What was like, that one that he fired? It was like a metal can, and he fires it. Was that the the drug lord? He fires it in the head, and the head swells up, and then. Well, what about the pig? He launched. He launched a pig. He oh, that was great! I was and, and see, and used it as ammo. I was watching that sequence, that that whole action sequence there, and I was like, Blomkamp is so influenced by pop culture. Like, this is a man who played Half-Life 2 and, like, is obsessed with this movie and that movie and all this kind of shit. And he went, how can I take every single one of my favorite things from anime and video games and action movies and all this shit and then glue them all together in, like, a five-minute action sequence? And you're like, holy shit. Like, it comes together to do its own original thing, but he incorporates so many, like, different elements together that it just becomes its own thing but it's not truly original. It's just executed so flawlessly. 
Uh, what is uh, Trachtenberg, the the guy that's directed Ten Cloverfield Lane? Yeah, you know who I'm talking about. Yeah, I know, Amen. Those later Cloverfield movies are shockingly good, especially the one in the bunker. He got his career started by making a Portal movie, right? Like a Portal short. Oh, that's interesting. I've never, never seen. And that. I have only thought I have had to bring it up, even though it's like very little connect besides the Halo movie thing. For a second there, I was like, wait a minute, didn't Neil Blomkamp do the Portal short too? No, I don't. I'm obviously he did wrong. not. I know yeah. that it's not. It's it's. He definitely did the Halo murder, thing. I think. Yeah. Yeah. But that's too, I never. So just make a if you're gonna make a short film, make it based on a video game, <laughs> and uh, maybe you'll be allowed to direct something big. Yeah, but like then these people make these video game movies and they're fucking terrible and they're like never based on the game like the uncharted just came out and i didn't ever play the uncharted games and like people just rip <laughs> that I movie the to pieces not right <laughs> like I, I mean like i'm not a fan I, of it but i'm like video game people are mad at it and i'm like look i'm not a fan of this i don't know anything about it but you clearly alienated a i do want to see somewhere. it but i think it comes it's like is it on netflix now or it's netflix it's on uh, netflix yeah it's yeah. on netflix I think it comes this week. Something we all like know that. the only good video game movie is fucking Mortal Kombat because yeah, it, Mortal Kombat's great. That's the only the original. Can, I mean, the original the and the one. new one. The new one's great. I like the new one. Uh, I think the new, the new one sucks. No, the new one's fantastic. No, Lexi, get the over new... here and let me tell you about it. <laughs> the, new, the new one has really good action sequences. Like the action. Well, you better sequences get excited for Mortal Kombat too because he's directing that one as well. The plot was awful. The story, it's like, how do you like not follow the story of Mortal Kombat? It's like, it's so goofy. The they fucking did, whole. The very first one is the story of Mortal Kombat from the video game, no. about as accurate as you could possibly get. <laughs> no, it was all over the place. And like Kano well, getting already like. said that he thought that the best video game movie around is Sonic the Hedgehog 2. Sonic the Hedgehog is excellent. Those are great video game movies. If you're talking like 90s, the original 90s Mortal Kombat is probably. The, one of the only ones to come out of that era that was truly competent. And you did like, that see, was pretty I good. Don't know if it's the right title, but Nintendo started like Nintendo Pictures or some shit like that. No, so, I haven't heard that. So they're going to start making motion pictures. I think the first one that's going to be under it is that Mario movie with Chris, Chris Pratt. Pratt. Uh, I'm not, I just don't care about that. Mm. One thing I've I wanna, said, for, I want an anime Zelda. Like I think an anime no, Zelda would be sick. So I've said for years, years, I'm not even a Zelda fan, but I'm like, why the fuck is there not like a high budget Zelda film that's like Nintendo. live action? Like I was like, could you imagine like Lord of the Rings grade like Zelda film? Like yes. I've seen a trailer. That'd be amazing. Absolutely. That's like I, the I'm not a fan of the series head. and I would love to see that. I'm like, I don't care for the games, but I still well, want to see that movie. The movie was so bad. I think that's why Nintendo vowed never to make yeah, another they did. movie again. <laughs> well, why would you go get the director from fucking Hardwired? The two fucking weird people hey, from London who made fucking think... Max Headroom. Like, why would you get them to make the fucking Mario Brothers movie? Yeah, and you I know they're going to be a Nintendo, problem. Nintendo like licensed any of its stuff until Wreck-It Ralph. I love I love that John Leguizamo and um, God, Bob what's the Hoskins. guy who played Mario? Bob Hoskins. Bob Hoskins. Yeah, they were they were drunk the whole time they made that movie. Who they they said it was the only way. They said that was the only what way they could Dennis get through Hopper the movie. And his braided hair. <laughs> oh, God. You, Dennis Hopper. Yeah. I don't think he was uh, sober for a single day in his life. <laughs> uh, you know he was they, on something. 
I watched a documentary about the making of the dot, the Mario brothers movie. And like, they said like John Leguizamo and him just, they couldn't get through the film. It was so bad. So they were just drinking <laughs> the whole time version of the movie too, with like the real bad deleted scenes put in. I'd love to see that personally. I love the Mario brothers movie. I think it's fucking great. I'm like somebody looked at the Mario brothers game and they went, how can I turn this into a post-apocalyptic like cyberpunk doom film? And, <laughs> and I'm how like, can I get every aspect wrong along the way <laughs> while still, while still incorporating everything from the game, like into the film, a little velociraptor that you can't ride like, or anything. Big Bertha is there, you know, as, as a black woman, instead of a fish and the fucking bombs and, the mushroom kingdoms are like really weird shrunken head guys yeah they're like dinosaurs <laughs> and like i think there's like a lot to really look back on hey, i mean Koopa love. does turn into like a some sort of cg lizard monster for a yeah. second turns into a t-rex because he's got t-rex dna in him apparently i love that movie I'll, I'll talk about that movie all day so you know what here's what i want to see i want to see neil blomkamp remake the 93 mario brothers film it has to be that plot it has to be exactly the same film, <laughs> except with Blomkamp's like effects and action sequences. And we'll make it R. We'll like add some like more violence into it. I want to see that movie. I'm here for this. I'd rather see his uh, Metroid. That would be really good. He'd be good for Metroid. That's a that's an interesting film idea too. I, I think that Nintendo's got a lot of properties that they're sitting on that they could really easily make films out of or TV series. The first series. movie will be like Pikmin. Yeah. Pikmin, Pikmin, the limited series. Dude, I love those games. Those are my favorite games ever. Such Chuck, a big Pikmin. Do you like fan. Pikmin? I've never played Pikmin. Oh man, those games are you so pick, good. Pikmin up, Pikmin three. I I've never played three. It's like almost impossible to get your hands on. I know they have it on the, the digital store now. If meaning to download it, you can't buy it. It was like put out weirdly. Like it was on the Wii U, so it, like limited releases, and then. Uh, they have a switch version or my crazy? yes switch has it but you have to download it from the store and i'll play you it know eventually. how you know how nintendo is like how how hard was it to get a copy of like ocarina of time for the 3ds forever because they like they released it and then like they did like yeah. disney and hit it in their vault for five years and then like i definitely bought it's like for... a greatest hits or something yeah i bought it and you on paid eBay way because it was like out of print oh, and then i think we both bought it from like the same thing and it's like definitely like a french version it has like french or german like on the back yeah. and i bought it i don't think we paid much more for it no. like maybe 23 25 and then they re-released it finally easy to buy for 20 bucks yeah, like after we bought it yeah you want to talk about a cool game i'm playing this game right now called uh buddy simulator 1984 i recommend everybody go play it, it it's like really I'm gonna play it. Is it fun? it's I, it's really interesting it's like it starts out text-based but it's like the buddy evolves with you and it's also um like a What's horror the game. buddy is it like the child's play remake the buddy no it's it's like um like a 1984 dos run program where you would make a friend on the pro like on the computer and it's all text-based but the but the system slowly learns and grows and so the game the game style evolves as you play and I think like by the end of it, you'll be playing like a like an like an Xbox 360 style game. Like it starts out mm. text based and it evolves like gameplay wise. So it's like it's systematically going through each type of like game style. I'm in a current point where I'm just started getting into like a 3D world. It I started, started playing Disco Elysium. Did you play Disco Elysium? I've heard really good things about that. I need to play that. It's a great um, 
like RPG detective yeah. story. And my character, like the way there's like voices in your head that you like wrestle with and shit. That's and cool. I can't tell what's real and what's not real. <laughs> so <laughs> I feel like I have schizophrenia or like some sort of, you know, DID or something like that. I really enjoyed Man Eater. I, I beat that. And then I beat Man Eater the, was fun. The Destroy All Humans. Those were like the last two games that I played. I played a lot of games this year. I've and actually played like more games than movies this year. Jordan Peele's Nope. You'll like it a lot if you like Destroy All Humans. I. I, I don't want to see it in the theater because I don't I don't want to I don't like to be seen in the theater. I don't like giving Jordan Peele money, but uh, I will watch his movies when they're Why? on streaming services. I don't like Jordan Peele. Why? I don't I don't want to get into this. I've explained this before. I support him from a filmmaking standpoint, but I do not think his films are very good, and I don't think he deserves the credit he's given. I think he needs some time. You are great. Well, then watch. No, why would you not support somebody that's learning? <laughs> I'll watch it. I'll just watch it on a streaming service. I'm not going to a theater for it. Oh my I don't. God. I don't think his movies are for theaters. I don't think they're theater films. The new one's probably the most cinematic that he has. That's interesting. I think this mm-hmm. one looks the most interesting to me of everything that he's made. I think this one. I'm like, okay, I'm here for this. Because Get Out's think... very good, but Get Out does have that like his horror style is really focusing on the people. So there's not re- like. I don't know. I'm not saying it's not cinematic. It's not. It doesn't have that scope. He's though. he's the director that M. Night Shyamalan wishes they could be again. <laughs> I think he is. He, he became that with Split and The Visit and oh Old. God. Split was the worst movie I ever saw. Old was fucking abysmal. You want to talk glass? about somebody who stop, needs to stop writing their own stuff and just direct? <laughs> That's a fucking guy right there. He needs to stop writing. He is the worst fucking writer I have ever seen. And what was that piece of shit? Was that him that made that one where like it was like the old people in the house with the two kids? The Visit. Yeah, yeah that was Grandma one of the worst. That was the worst movie I have ever fucking seen in my whole life. I don't think that might be the only one of his I didn't see. I liked the oh, one where they were on my the God. That kid, that young, the, the boy in that movie, I was just praying someone would kill him. The whole fucking movie. I wanted him to die so bad. That, that's never, the kid for the Babadook for me. I'm like, please. Oh, that kid, that kid in the Babadook was fucking awful. That kid's screaming in the back of the car. And I'm like, you reach back there and you smack him across his mouth. I'm like, you shut him up right now. Babadook yeah. was an awful movie. I hated that movie. That got so I much hype. At all. Nah. Sometimes I wonder about the horror movies, the like the ones that get like big hype. Because I don't always feel like they're hyped by horror people. I feel like they're hyped by people who don't watch horror movies and they're like, I saw this and it was unlike anything I've ever seen before. And it was like, oh, I've got this production company called A24 that basically makes like 50 billion films like this. So, <laughs> yeah, they what make about all their all their movies are like very foreign looking? What? What about what? When you watch this movie, I think like uh, Elysium is a natural progression for him with his style like it's very clear he got like more money more budget but he kind of just wants to do more of the same i got so, matt damon yeah i love matt damon in this movie i think this is one of matt damon's better roles i think he's really good in this because he doesn't always get to do the action stuff but when he does it he does it really well i, I thought matt that, damon's uh, best role was in uh, team america world police but that's yeah <laughs> matt damon poor matt damon that's the he's matt so damon talented. always in my head yeah yeah Every time I hear his name, that's all I hear it. <laughs> is there anything else to say about District 9? Yeah, yeah, there is. But we've been talking about so many other things. 
on the District 9 episode. <laughs> There's always more to say, and we never say it. I don't know. I think we covered this pretty well overall. I mean, it's his first film. He clearly has a definitive visual style that is 100% his own, and it's very unique to him in a lot of ways. Not a competent writer, not a competent like overall director, but like... Yeah, I don't even think he... he thought his scenes out very well either i think he was right he had his focus on the effects but like i just felt like he was slapping cameras all over the place like it didn't really have a reason besides looking cool like yeah let's have the fucking camera on the guns that's the point of view i which which detracts once again like i said before it detracts from him presenting that this is a documentary style film there's a way to execute what he's doing and still maintain that feeling of it being a POV, like filmed kind of movie where you still have these like spectacular action sequences and these things going on. Like we could have brought like news crews in that started filming things. We could have gotten helicopter shots from different news crews. We could have had helicopters get shot down, you know, those kind of shots. Like there's more dynamic ways to shoot the action sequences while still maintaining the idea that I'm watching like footage naturally shot. And I think like when you give up on that halfway through the film, which is, not this is, he's not the first person I've seen do this. I've seen this done before. And if you're, if you're going to make a documentary style film, you can't make a movie in the middle of it and drop it and then go back to it at the end. He's not the only one I've seen do this. Like, just don't do that. You can do, do it. You do it. Yeah, it's not good. It. But it doesn't play out well because, you you know, then you get caught up in the action of like a film and you're in a film and you're like, I forgot this was a documentary style film. Like you always forget halfway through it because it's like, when you've got like dynamic action sequences with like 16 cameras, like you said, switching back and forth here and there, all that kind of stuff. Like, yeah, it's not how that's not how it would be shot if it was a bunch of like TV crews and stuff. Do you think he evolves from this film or do you think that he kind of he literally does? Yeah. When you look at Elysium, which we're going into, I feel like you would say that these are kind of almost the same movie, except instead of aliens, there's poor people. And like, it's just feels like the other side of the area that District 9 is, even though it's supposed to be in California. It's a story about poor people. Every every one of his movies is a story about poor people. All of them. That is all his films are about are poor people. But are they are they genuine? Do they feel good? Do you feel he is exploiting the poverty for his visual style or is he properly like getting things out there that help people and educate people i mean you don't have to do that but like when you go into a culture that's not your own and you choose to like meddle and you choose to visually present it like metal is it disrespectful is he being disrespectful or is he you know just i can't tell i'd agree with that (laughs) i I, because that's why i'm asking cannot tell Cause I can't figure that out either. Like sometimes it does feel respectful and sometimes it feels really disrespectful. So is the stereotype, right? Right. Do you think that it's okay for white African people to make content about apartheid and the poor sectors of their country? I don't care what people do. <laughs> Chuck? All I can think I of, uh, all I can think of there is, uh, Mean girls. How could you be white if you're from Africa? Oh my, oh my God, God, Karen, you can't <laughs> ask someone why they're white. 
that's all I think when I think of uh, think of any any of that. It's like yeah, I, I, who, yeah. I don't know that he's the there. There are people that definitely have felt probably more persecution than he has. Which yeah, again, that's I think that's where some of that comes from. I think you know somebody like Steven Spielberg probably got the same thing when he makes a movie like The Color Purple, which is a good movie. But he, I think he gets the same criticism of it would come off very differently if it was made by an African-American filmmaker versus a white filmmaker writing about, you know, the South in in that time period. So, but I, but I know Steven Spielberg probably had the best intentions of, he just thought it was a, it was a good enough story that he wanted to tell, even though he doesn't have that, that particular viewpoint. Did everyone like this movie? Like yes. genuinely? Would you watch it again? I have. Okay. Yeah, this is like a, the fifth time I've watched this movie. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, I think this might be my fourth time watching it myself. I have that that Blu-ray that they put out, the Blomkamp Three, mm. where it's all three of his films, and it comes with this like big thick book, whatever. It's pretty cool. I got it for like four bucks in a bin, but like it's like that. I'm pretty sure my Elysium and Chappie are still books too. My Chappie's a steel book because you got it for me for my birthday, and it's still sealed. Oh, you didn't yeah. watch Chappie? Never been opened. I'm oh, holding out. I'm be... holding out for when that's a collector's item. Yeah, you're not gonna watch it for our. Podcast. <laughs> I'm not even gonna watch it for this one. I'm, I'm gonna leave it sealed in box. I'll be perfectly honest with all the controversies coming out about Diane Wirt right now. I don't see it having too much value at this point. <laughs> uh, wait for that comeback. So where are you gonna watch it? On? Is it streaming on Netflix or something? Probably. Oh, I'm sure it's. It. I'm sure it's streaming it somewhere. Doesn't he'd rather doesn't rather do that. that? I would just open it. Could have that mint unsealed copy. Mine's actually not a steel book. It's like like a hardcover book. <laughs> it's like really weird. Like I said, three bucks at the store. I was like, oh, it's all three of his movies on Blu-ray. I'm not going to say no to that. My Blu-ray was really hard to st- uh, start up. Oh, it wanted to connect to the internet and then for like blu-ray live or something and i think it literally took like five minutes for my thing to be like there's no blu-ray live or something before it would let me watch the movie i've noticed we we, i don't know i think we talked about it on here before but um blu-rays compared to dvds like dvds like had much better special features and menu screens and like they put more effort into like the experience so when you bought the dvd you felt more like you got something special blu-rays and 4k suck because now everyone's getting into the the you know target has their version of it and walmart has their version of it and like most of it's stupid but it's still like oh i don't know what do you value more like this one has art cards in it and this one's a steel book and yeah. this one's this. And it's like, it's one of those, like I, I literally can't own all of these. I'm not buying this movie 10 times. But when you put the movie in, there's nothing special. It's yeah. Just like, it's still the, the same movie. movie. Yeah. Hey, I, at least I enjoy 4k. I don't think I've had a disc with trailers yet. It just, but it goes straight to the menu. It's like, there you go. That's true. But I thought, I thought the district nine's uh, menu screen was really good. This was the first time in a long time I've been able to say that about a Blu-ray in particular, because it was like, do you want to be alien or do you want to be human? And then you get to pick like which interface you get, the human's interface or the aliens, and they did a good job with that, made it more fun. I was trying to find Easter eggs like on the screen, like hidden things and stuff. I think the best DVD menu of all time was Requiem for a Dream, because it menu. made me unplug my TV and plug it back in. <laughs> Because I thought there was something wrong. I thought I was getting an infomercial channel. Or the Fight Club that's, Blu-ray. That's so funny. Oh, that's a funny one. Fight Club Blu-ray is Fight, a great one. It starts out looking like never been kissed menu. Like you got the wrong 
print of a movie, and then the Fight Club starts seeping into it. Pretty sure they flash a penis at you. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, they do. You know, going into it, especially being an effects person, um, I was like super hyped to talk about. I'm like, oh, Blomkamp, Blomkamp's great. And then it's like, I went into this this time, and I still walked away from it and said like, this film is a revolution in film. It's a game changer. It set a standard. It changed a lot. It has a lot to offer. From a filmmaking standpoint, I think if you're getting into film, he's someone who you should look at for visual cues and understand ways to do CG and incorporate your CG into it and blend your CG into your backgrounds and not have it stand out. I think he's one of the best when it comes to integration of practical CG and real world. He's top tier at his visuals. I do not think he's a strong writer and where we're analyzing it more, um, we're gonna see how weak the writing gets from him as it goes on. But I definitely don't think that you can look at District 9 and say like, oh, it was a good movie. Like this was a game changer. Like no one had ever seen anything like this when it dropped, like it was a first. And you have to give it respect as a filmmaker where it stands and what it did and how it changed like entertainment for the next like, 12 years. You have a hell of a lot years. to say for not having That's anything all. else to say. <laughs> I've, I'm wrapping up. I finished. I got my point out. I just wanted to get that across. I think he's important. I don't think he's necessarily like like you said, like I don't know if it's going to continue being like exciting, but I think he's important. I think he's important for a new director. Like I said, this guy's only been around for like 12 years. And he's got a pretty solid first two films under his belt. No question. Like films that will go down in film as like classics, not cult films, like classic films. Chuck, what do you think? (laughs) I don't think. He doesn't think. Never. I want to make sure the stage just is awkward. Yeah, don't cut any of this. Yeah. I'm not. I'm just going to slap music on the beginning and the end. I didn't think it was all that awkward. No, I make it's awkward now. Oh, okay. Yep. (laughs) That's our episode. Bye, everyone. Bye. That was really loud. (laughs) Keeping it awkward. We are Cinema Demore. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter to stay up to date with news and information on upcoming episodes. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, Pandora, Alexa, or iHeartRadio. It would be greatly appreciated if you subscribe to our podcast on your platform of choice. We also appreciate feedback, so rate us, review us, and let us know what you think. And above all else, thank you for listening.